Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast, we are discussing Jessica Jones, Season 3, Episode 11, a.k.a. Hellcat, right after this. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. And I'm Jeff Randall. And we are here to discuss more Jessica Jones. Episode 11, spoiler alert, they did it again, Jeff. Oh, they gave you a story out of time, sir? They did. That's exactly what I was going to say. Good job. <laughs> I, you know, as soon as the episode started and it showed the whole, like, not just the flashbacks, but the, the bounce back to a little bit earlier in the season, I was like, Matt's going to like this episode a lot. Well, I like the way they, they're bookending the season with it. They started the season with a Jess story and then a Trish story. But they were the same story. Yeah. And they saw how they interweaved and all that. And I, I really, really, and I, I dig that sort of bookend of this technique. They didn't overuse it. We've talked on certain Marvel series that we've talked about in the past. I'm trying to remember which one I'm even thinking of. But they've kind of overused that technique to the point that I was like, ugh. I think it was Cloak and Dagger, actually. Like season one, somewhere in the, toward the middle of season one or something. And I was just like, they are overusing this sort of out-of-time technique because I can't even tell what's going on and i oh. love this kind of storytelling no i think it was uh i think it was episode two of season two of cloak and dagger i think i think it was more more wide-reaching than that but yes they've, they've done a few of them and that's why it got me i was like come on just tell the story at this point i i like right. it every once in a while but they get a little tired but i really liked how they did it in, in jessica jones and then they took a few episodes and they did it again Yep. Yep. Well, you know, anytime they're away from each other for any long period of time, you know, there's there's bound to be stuff that's going to happen from, you know, from one perspective that the other's not going to know about. And that's exactly what we got this time. We we got a Hellcat origin story, so to speak. Yeah. This is her. Yeah, I, th- I think I said on a previous episode, but she, this is her Batman origin right here. Yep. Her, yep. Her mother was killed in an alleyway and, and now she's going... That- after the bad guys, but with not a, without much of, as much moral compass, you know. Yeah, uh, alleyway notwithstanding, or metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> um, she went after her Joe Chill. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like every reference, every single reference I've made this season to another story has been a DC story. Yeah, what is my I, deal? I think it is. What I is think my deal? this. This episode, talking about this episode, when you mention Cloak and Dagger, is like the only time you've talked about that's, a Marvel thing. That's true. That's true. I did just make that reference. <laughs> it's your first one. Good job. Thank you. This Thank is you. the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. <laughs> so the thing that got me really excited for this episode is I actively was sad last two episodes ago when we don't see Trish... The, the fight between Trish and Salinger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we don't see what, what leads up to her holding a knife to his throat. Yeah, and it, it was so good. Uh, they did it so well two episodes ago that I was okay with not seeing it. When it came time to show us it this episode, I was like, oh, I'm so glad we get to see this. Uh, <laughs> Hellcat, like, really trying to take revenge on Salinger. And we see her scratch his face, and we see all that all that fun fighting, which he actually held his own pretty well, which was awesome. No, he didn't. I mean, no. Well, he did get 
get the upper hand a couple of times. Didn't he, he, he didn't. <laughs> yes, he did. He he like flipped her over and pinned her a couple of times. Like when he used he used his wrestling, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, um, he went for uh, he went for a choke, and she just completely fucking wrecked him. Right? No, she won. Like I'm not saying it was a like it was a contested fight by any means, but like that the, he at least like had a few moments where he got the upper hand, and then Maybe. she got out of it. Maybe. I don't know. I just thought it was Barely. kind of neat that he had a little bit of... We know that his wrestling background, so we know it was sort of believable that he at least had some moves. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's believable that he had some moves. He was a little closer to evenly matched with, with Trish, uh, but Trish has the advantage in, like, uh, night vision and reflexes and speed and she may have a bit of extra strength because she's been throwing guys around like a lot. She, yes, uh, I think that she. I think she mentioned she didn't have a, a super strength. She doesn't have super strength, but she might have enhanced strength over yeah. what what she would normally have. Because I mean, the way that she kicked that guy out of the hotel room when she's like she's pounding on the wall and the guy comes over and is like, "What the fuck are you doing over here?" Yeah, or, you know whatever he said, and she's just like straight up kicked him in the chest and like threw him back like yes legs are strong but that's a big dude yeah i mean with the right technique you could definitely do that and that's the thing about hellcat i'm not understanding fully is how much technique does she have yeah how much of it is skill and technique and how much of it is enhancement how much of it is her cheating I know that in this episode, they, they make her killing those two men seem like it was just her being overzealous because of her hatred of Salinger. But she also almost killed that uh, mob boss lady from a couple episodes ago when she attacked her and saved Eric's life. Yeah, but the way that that one happened was a little bit different. She just kind of threw her, and right. it was an unfortunate angle. That's true. I just think that Trish... Is coming off to me as an untrained super. Yeah. A loose cannon. Yeah, well, a loose cannon, but like kind of skillless. She doesn't know how to interact with other humans and not kill them, it seems like. <laughs> She's like a real Linny for Mice and Men, you know? I'm Running sorry. around just snapping necks, you know? Like, I just. <laughs> the, the... She doesn't know how to interact with humans without killing them. Like, thank you for the latte, barista. Oh, oh shit. No. Oh, no. <laughs> it's in my coffee. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. That was a real funny way to say that. Thanks, man. I try. Um, <laughs> well, the biggest thing this episode that I think we got... Other than just like a full picture of how the the relationship between Eric and her developed and is working, because we really do get a sense of she's not just a woman on a mission and she's not a woman trying to kill. At least it seems like it seems like these have been mistakes, uh, mistakes of passion. <laughs> yeah, it's like she she's she goes into it thinking, all right, I'm going to get them to the brink. I'm going to get them real close to death. I'm going to beat them until they stop. And then I'm going to stop and pin something on him or, you know, frame myself or whatever. Right. And then she's like, oops, I went a little too far because I saw Salinger's face. Yeah. Her anger and her instinct take over and she starts to go, go wild and kills two men this episode. Yeah. And one, she, she just casually kicked that one and knocked him into a pipe, which 
she just she just doesn't know how to interact with these villains like without just she doesn't know how to fight without murder <laughs> she really doesn't it, it's, don't get me started i don't know how to not murder yeah it, it really you won't like me when i'm hellcat is is kind of like yeah. what's happening here that's um, what's going on she did she has a kind of a hulk thing happening where she's hulking out like in in, in the truest sense of that you know yeah um all right uh, one of the biggest things we got in this episode was her backstory. We, we finally really see her as a child, as Patsy. Yeah, we see the child star forming, actually. Yeah, and like, we see sort of Dorothy's, um, both her evil, like like her abusiveness, I should say. Not even necessarily evil. It is evil, but it's like her specific evil was how abusive she was to Patsy. It seems less like she was... This may be just her spin, the way she told it to Patsy. It seems less like she was just trying to seek out like power through Patsy, and more like she genuinely believes her daughter is talented, and her daughter deserves, or her daughter owes the world her talent. Or do you think she's just using her? I think that that's the way that she spun it to Trish to get her to to buy into it. I think what was happening more than anything is that she was just using her daughter so that she didn't have to freaking work mm. because she sold all of their stuff. She was getting checks from like, uh, the child support checks from, uh, from Patsy's dad. And that was barely enough to cover the rent. And I'm like, do you have a job? Do, do you work ever at all? Right. Like, because there's work out there to be done and they will pay you money for that. And then you can turn around and give that money to someone else to let you live somewhere and or eat. Right. That is how capitalism works. That, yeah, that's, that's kind of how this society that we live in is built. And, um, you don't seem to be doing that, Dorothy. No, no. And, and I agree with you. I, I don't think she's of pure motive, but I do think she believes what she's saying when she says that. Uh, Hellcat owes the world. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe she does believe it, and like that's why she's going all in on it. Is that you know she believes that to be the thing, but she she so desperately needs the buy-in from from Trish, from young Trish, that she is just the uh, a terrible person to be around. Really, yeah. I'm I'm with you. She definitely crosses the line, and it's, it's definitely not okay what she does and the way she does it. But I just don't i I can't tell for sure if her motivation is purely selfish or if that is actually how she feels. And either way, it's tragic. Either way, that Trish has internalized these lessons that her mom taught her as gospel. And either way, they're coming from kind of a broken person. Either she's a person who's broken to the point that she kind of buys into her own. Uh, love of her daughter, basically, in the, to the point that she thinks her daughter is so special that she can't not give her talent to the world. Or she's so broken that she's manipulating her daughter into doing what she wants. Either way, Trish has internalized it in a way that has made her a murderer. That has driven her to murder at this point, yeah. It's crazy. <sighs> crazy, crazy. And just their whole relationship when she's younger is just, it's hard for me to watch, uh, cause 
that whole parental abuse because you should be better, you should be better is uh, something that I dealt with when I was mm. younger. And, um, you know, it's a bit triggering. It's a bit triggering to, to see that happen. Mm. That sucks, man. I'm sorry. And, you know, it's something that you, you work through. Yeah. And you get past. Anyway, enough bringing us down. We forgot to mention last episode the ex hooker with a heart of gold. Let's let's focus on her pain. Okay. <laughs> focus on her pain instead of I don't know how I feel about that whole relationship. I don't know, man. I I was when it was like as it was actually happening, I was saying out loud and but my wife was just like why are you talking? I was like, I was saying to Malcolm, I was like, Malcolm, stop. You have things to do. Like, you're so busy right now. You got, then this is way too soon. This is the wrong person. Just nothing, none of this is right. Like, come on, man. Their the relationship seems weirdly genuine. Um, <sighs> and, and, and I, I, I agree with you that it seems too soon and probably not a good fit for what they both need. They both, wow. they're both really broken. They probably both need to. Spend some time alone. Do some work on themselves. <laughs> they both need some time with a therapist. That's what yes. They need. I'm not in opposition to that idea. But it weirdly didn't feel as dark as I expected it to. The, de- the, the first interaction felt very dark. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like, uh, it felt like Malcolm giving up on his principles kind of thing. Yeah. Or at least putting his principles on pause. I expect television to sort of structure the show in a way that teaches lessons. That makes sense? Yeah. Uh, and in this case, it just, the way they treated it did not seem to think this was a bad idea. It seemed like it was like actually, and he even like, I really liked that he said, by the way, you don't owe this. This is not. Like, yeah, you have no obligation. You have here. no obligation here. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, this it's is just like ha ha. <laughs> which, oh man, the patriarchy, man, it's tricky because even in that case, she says ha ha, and I think what we're supposed to read out of that is shut up, you silly boy. Let's do this. Shut up, you silly boy. I I like sex too, and I just want this. Is what I th- I felt like we were. Tr- they wanted us to read out of that. Yep. And, but I kind of still read. She laughs, and I'm like. She she doesn't know sex without obligation, like right. That's, like she's a broken person. She comes from a, a horrible childhood, and she has this this broken outlook on on sexual relationships and yeah. how it's supposed to work. Especially and, with the revelations from a few episodes ago about her father. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, that specifically. That and then she's been a had a pimp on the street that she had an arrangement with. That she mentions. We had the same arrangement. I had this obligation to have sex with him, and he protected me. And that's the whole. I mean, and that's that's what her father did too. And it's just the whole. And now she's having sex with a guy who's giving her a place. And he says, and I hope she can internalize that that there's no obligation. But I don't know that she can, and that makes the whole thing tricky. Yeah, yeah, and the way that she's saying, like, you know you're such a good guy and like, how are you such a good guy and the world doesn't deserve you kind of thing. Just, I I don't think that she has a really healthy relationship with anything right now. 
I agree. You know, we, we talk a lot on the Cloak and Dagger podcast about how those two characters, the reason they seem to be getting closer as people and their relationship feels so real is because they kind of see the best in each other. Yeah. And when she, when she walks in the room and says, it's not the smartest thing to do, letting a a junkie whore stay on your couch. And he says, (laughs) that's not how I see you. He like really, I don't judge you. I judge me, but I don't, you know, I don't got nothing for you. Yeah. And then a few minutes later, she's telling him how good he is. And that's what he wants to hear. He wants to believe he's good. And in a way, this mirrored that sort of relationship on Cloak and Dagger to me, where you've got two characters who are attracted to each other. Um, in this case, romantically on Cloak and Dagger thus far, it's, uh, a friendship. But they're attracted. Pancakes or waffles, man. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) If you're not listening to our Cloak and Dagger reviews, uh, go watch Cloak and Dagger. It's pretty good. Um, They're attracted to each other because of the way they see each other and what it makes them feel is possible for themselves. And so that felt very earned to me in a weird way, even though it was very short. Genuine. Yeah. Wholesome. Yeah. And good. In the light, it's like this weird light in this darkness in their relationship thus far the darkness that they're both living in and maybe they are a light for each other i don't know man yeah they're the beacon of hope in their dark world yeah it was weird to me that i had that thought when the same you know in the same room six episodes ago those two same people had sex and i felt like oh my gosh this is so dark and now i'm like oh maybe this is the light that pulls them out of that darkness i I don't good job jessica jones creators for making me feel real conflicted (laughs) real just uncomfortable all the time all the time all the time um anyway let's see the only thing i think we haven't mentioned is jerry's situation uh jerry is uh asking trish to steal something from the man who is holding kiff hostage basically with the law yeah not holding her freedom hostage, I guess. Right. Hold- or threatening fraud. Right, 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 right. But- I also love to see that we, we talked about Dorothy last episode getting shown as a moral person. In this episode, we get to see her abusive nature, but we also get to see her competence. Yeah, yeah. How she she really understands the the film and and movie and TV industry really well, and how you know how producers work and what you have to do to and how cutthroat you have to be to to get the parts. Yeah, and you know throw those parentheticals or like cross out the parentheticals. You know who gives a shit if the uh, if the the lead is supposed to be a blonde, like the producer has red hair and you should have red hair because nothing catches eyes like a mirror. You know, she's, she's got the chops to make it in the business. She's just not a great person about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of a lot of showbiz parents that we hear about, you know, like Michael Jackson's parents or you know, there's just, there's, there's countless stories of, of just abusive parents that are abusive to the point where they push their kids to become, Great, <laughs> which it's it's that whole whiplash conversation. Have you seen Whiplash? I don't believe so. It's a really great movie, and it's an exploration. Uh, it's an entire movie about an abusive music teacher 
who wanted to be a great drummer. He was not a great drummer. He never could be great. He was a good drummer, but he never became one of the greats. And so now he believes his mission in life is to produce one of the greats. So he's teaching <laughs> at a music school, and he is very abusive to his students because he believes it is the crucible that will create a great drummer or a great performer. And so he, like, abuses the, – the protagonist of the movie is being just completely abused by a character who who – and it's it's really an exploration of it, it does that work is that is that is that how greatness is created and it's really strange because it kind of comes down in a way of like not not to spoil it but it kind of comes down in a way of like maybe maybe it's horrible but maybe it works <laughs> and it, and it, it's like dang i don't know how i feel about that i mean some of the greatest artists have been the people that were in the most pain Absolutely. Uh, I want to say it's Vonnegut has an essay called Unboxing and Pain. And he compares art, the creation of art, to boxing. Because the only way to become a great boxer is to learn to get hit in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that is a significant part of it, yeah. And so it's a whole, it's an exploration of like, be, getting getting punched over and over in life as a boxer or whatever to teach you to be a great boxer is similar to the pain kind of pain you have to encounter to become a great artist. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of people these days say it's bullshit, but it's, it's worked for so many. <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, I figured my fastest path to, uh, being a great artist was just to cut off my ear. <laughs> I think that's the end of the story, man. I mean, it wasn't the end of it, but, you know... It's pretty close. It's part it's of pretty it. close. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a little crazy. And, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, the Van Gogh never sold a painting and was never recognized for his greatness during his life. Yeah. It was, like, right after he had died where it's like, hey, let's, uh, let's sell this sunflowers thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh... Sorry to bring everybody down again. Oh, I can't remember if we mentioned it on the last episode, but I, when, when those three cops converge on Jess, I completely was like, how did those cops find her? And I love that we got an answer to that in this episode. Yeah, my my thought was like, somebody tipped him off. Maybe she you know, was recognized by somebody. She's walking the streets chasing after Trish. Maybe she was just too careless with everybody else on the street. But then I remembered... Yeah, when when we were in New York and like nobody talks to you when you're on the street, nobody looks at you, nobody wants to know that you exist. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So like obviously that's not what happened. <laughs> um we were hanging out with our our, our listeners uh uh up in up in New York and one of the conversations we had, so if you guys are listening, hey guys, uh Thomas and Mikhail, um you know they're listening. What's up, guys? Hey, uh, <laughs> if uh, one of the things they said, I was telling them that, like, it's kind of hard being in New York because n- nobody looks at you, nobody talks to you, and, and in the South, it's a little everybody talks to everybody, and I get it because in New York you see millions of people, and they're like, no, 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 that's not it. The only people who talk to you in New York are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. It was great. Thomas yep. was like, I, 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 I spent some time in the South and I, I wanted to try that. Uh, so I came back up and I tried it and I re- I just ended up having conversations with crazy people all week. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> so funny. Really funny. All right. Well, that is it for this podcast, I think, today. We'll be back tomorrow. Only two more episodes of Jessica Jones left. Uh, we'll be getting an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode in your feed here shortly. We had a really good episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week that we haven't had a chance to cast about yet. Um, and we've got Spider-Man in just a few days. So, Oh, uh, my God. So, so close. So close. We, we have so many episodes to do before Spider-Man. <laughs> so right? we're, we're really, we're really cooking with, uh, cooking with gas here on the cast. Lots of things dropping in the feed this week. So I hope you're all loving it. We are loving doing it. Uh, we are the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. You can find us at MCU cast all over the social media. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear the episodes, uh, sooner and ad free, you can go to our feed on Patreon, patreon.com slash MCU cast. If you would like to uh, hear more from me, I have two other podcasts, the Star Trek Universe podcast and the Orville Universe podcast. And if you'd like to hear my music, which is my main gig, check out Matthew Carroll on all of the music sites. Peace. Until next time, true believers. (laughs) 